From Iowa Public Radio News, this is the legislative podcast Under the Golden Dome. I'm John Pemble. At the end of April, per diems ended for legislators when the session hit the 110th day. While that doesn't mean it's the final day, it does give lawmakers motivation to complete a session. Usually a session goes on for about a week after the per diems end, but this year it went on for three weeks. While this session has gone longer than previous sessions, it's for a good reason. Adjournment hinged on House and Senate leadership coming to an agreement on tax and budget bills. Republican Senator Dan Dawson manages a very large tax bill in the chamber that was holding things up. Each chamber had a different version, but Governor Kim Reynolds voiced support for many provisions in the Senate version. I do want to thank Governor Reynolds for her leadership in this. Uh, I full well believe that if she had not stepped in here, the session would have dragged out longer. During this year, there were various tax bills that passed the Senate, including one reducing inheritance taxes, shifting the cost of mental health funding from local property taxes to the state general fund, and allowing future tax breaks voted into law a couple of years ago to begin sooner. Over the course of implementing this bill, we are delivering Iowans over a $1 billion tax cut. Through accelerating income tax cuts and providing relief to property tax increases for a vast, vast majority of hardworking Iowans. This tax bill is an omnibus bill with 28 divisions. Each division is basically like its own bill. An omnibus bill bundles many bills into one, and usually each division shares something in common with others. One division of the bill that draws a lot of attention is about the backfill. In 2013, a law was passed that reduced the taxes of some properties like businesses. In exchange, the cities and counties receive money from the state's general fund to make up for the lost tax revenue. And the backfill was designed to provide um, revenue to cities and counties and make it so they didn't have to pass on the tax um, taxes to residential and to farmers. Democratic Senator Jackie Smith is a proponent of these payments. That was a promise made. At that time, I was a supervisor, county supervisor. And, you know, we had fears this would happen, that the backfill would not be uh, kept up and that the state would break the promise. When the state pays less, you pay more. Democratic Senator Herman Kornbach says if the backfill payments end, communities will raise the lost revenue by increasing a tax. And I have heard some loose talk about, well, this wasn't really intended to be permanent. All right? That's not correct. I was there at the time. It was a bipartisan, bicameral commitment. The Democrats held the Senate. The Republicans held the House. The two sides came together with some compromises on that bill. And one of the things we agreed on, on a bipartisan basis, was to do the backfill so that the state would pay a little more, so that property owners would not have to pay more. Had we wanted that promise to have a finite end date, we would have put that in the bill. We would have put a sunset date in the bill. That didn't happen. But Republican Senator Zach Whiting says what happened in the legislature years ago should not restrict what the legislature can do today. Legislatures in the past cannot bind the actions 
of future legislatures. And so the legislative history that we're told by people that were here in 2013 can tell us one thing, uh, but on our own accord, sua sponte, to throw out another fun word from law school, we can do that on our own accord at our own time, and that's exactly what we're doing here. And uh, if we, again, uh, previous legislatures can't hold us accountable to promises they made then, we can change anything we want. There are many provisions in this bill that many of us in this room, in fact, all of us in this room, support. Democratic Senator Pam Yoakum supports many of the 28 divisions in this bill. Food bank sales tax exemption. Yep, for it. We've introduced bills to do the same. Most of us have voted for most of these provisions when they were introduced as individual bills. But Yoakum isn't convinced shifting the funding of mental health from property taxes to future legislative bills will provide a stable source of funding. There is no guarantee, none, that this state will make good on its promise to adequately fund mental health and disability services. None. It is not constitutionally protected. And we know, we know that right now, our budget is artificially inflated. There are billions of federal dollars flowing through this state and every other state through the CARES Act and the American Rescue Plan. Former President Donald Trump and current President Joe Biden approved federal funding designed to help states navigate and recover from the pandemic. Respectively, they are the CARES Act and the American Rescue Plan. There is a flood of federal money coming into the state right now. Republican Senator Dan Dawson says that money will help make up for any funding lost from backfill payments. $335 million to cities here in a state received in pandemic relief. Counties, $612 million are coming in here at the state for stimulus money. What we just heard was the bait and switch that is at the heart of Cinephile 619. Democratic Senator Zach Walls says federal money sent to Iowa for pandemic relief won't be available when the proposed backfill payments stop. And there are conditions on how states can spend this federal money. We know that these one-time dollars have to be spent. They have to be spent quickly. These are going to be phased out, the property tax, in perpetuity. So when your property taxes are higher in 2024 than they are today, thank you, Republican State Senator. Senator Dawson says economic growth in Iowa's communities should be making up for what was cut from the business property taxes several years ago. The average growth rate pre-backfill levels of commercial property tax growth across the state is 31%. It's unconscionable to think that the state of Iowa would backfill in perpetuity where many entities are well above that legis- the levels of that legislation when it's passed. The backfill payments are proposed to end in five or eight years, depending on the community. Dawson says that's plenty of time to adjust. To think that cities and counties can't, through a predictable and reasonable phase-out on a five- or eight-year cycle, phase-out, this backfill is laughable, and more importantly, it's disrespectful to the taxpayers. A couple of other aspects to this large bill remove inheritance taxes by phasing them out over five years. It also has a tax credit for a beginning farmer. This tax omnibus bill passes out of the Senate and out of the House. It can be considered by Governor Reynolds to be signed into law. This is 
the legislative podcast under the Golden Dome. I'm John Pimble. If you value knowing what's going on in your state, share this podcast with your friends. Make sure to tag Iowa Public Radio on social media and use the hashtag UTGDPod. Under the Golden Dome is supported by the Iowa Bankers Association and by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer. As of this week, around 40% of Iowans have been fully vaccinated against COVID-19. Recently, children aged 12 and older were approved to receive a vaccine. Last week, the Centers for Disease Control issued guidance saying those who are fully vaccinated no longer need to wear masks. Through this legislative session, there have been no mask requirements in the Capitol, although there were some legislators who wore them. In the final days of the session, there are noticeably fewer people in the Capitol wearing masks. On the afternoon of the final day of the legislative session, an amendment to an education bill comes out. It prevents public schools from issuing a mask mandate that is outside of existing code. It also prohibits cities and counties from having a mask mandate or face covering requirement for a private business that is stricter than a policy or law enacted by the state. As it is debated in the final hours of the legislative session during the evening, floor manager Republican Representative Dustin Height cites concerns with future mask-wearing requirements. He references Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is the director of the U.S. National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. On the national level, uh, Dr. Fauci, I think we all heard him say, well, you know, maybe mask-wearing is just, that's just what we do from now on, uh, just to combat the flu. Um, And I think... Uh, I think property owners, uh, that's what we're talking with city and counties, property owners and and with the schools, we're talking parents, uh, can make that decisions for themselves. We don't know what's coming down the road. Democratic Representative Christina Bohannon says this bill isn't specific to wearing a mask due to COVID. Local governments and school boards can't require a mask for any new variant of COVID that might be more lethal, more contagious or more dangerous to children. The only exceptions are eye protection or ear protection as part of like a shop class or a chemistry class or something like that, or if required by any other provision of law. Representative Height says the governor has the ability to implement a mask-wearing policy should that ever become necessary. We uh, provide pretty broad emergency powers for our governor, um, and that's to address things that we just can't foresee in the future. Um, I don't think... Uh, You know, a year and a half ago, uh, any of us foresaw this COVID-19 pandemic, uh, but the governor certainly had the tools to address it. But Bohannon says local control is important for a city or county to implement guidance on the wearing of masks. And it's the same kind of argument that I know I've heard a lot of people say in here about, you know, how the federal government has too much power and it's overriding the states and, you know, uh, uh, doing things that ought to be more subject to local control. But then we are very quick to pass this kind of legislation that limits local control in our cities and counties across Iowa. They are accountable to the people 
even more so than we are because those are the people they represent, the only people they represent, and they live among them day in and day out. They will hear from them and they will be accountable to them. I think that this decision is best left in their competent hands. More Democrats argue against this amendment over a lack of local control. Talk about micromanaging. That includes Representative Sharon Steckman. Telling cities and counties they can't have a mask mandate? I would think they would know better firsthand what they need to do. And if people object to what they're saying, they'll vote them out of office. Democratic Representative Eric Jurdy asks Representative Height questions. What's your general feelings of the CDC? I'm indifferent. Okay. Do do you believe in the CDC? Do you believe in their science? I mean, that's a, I don't know how to answer that. Do I believe in them? Yes, they exist. Stay your point. This questioning has nothing to do with what we're actually talking about in the bill. Or excuse me, Mr. He- Representative Heights Amendment. Representative Lundgren, your point is well taken. Speaker Pat Grassley's quick ruling on Republican Representative Shannon Lundgren's point of order means Representative Jurdy can't continue to ask this question. Jurdy moves on to talk about masks. He says masks make sense for now since vaccination is still in the early stages. Masks helps protect those around you. So masks help to ensure that the droplets from you don't go to somebody else. I don't understand, and I, and I want to be able to rid ourselves of masks as quickly as possible, but I don't want to do it too early. There's a lot of folks out there, whether we like it or not, whether you like it or not, who don't believe that masks work. Republican Representative Stephen Holt. What this amendment is doing is exactly what government is supposed to do. We're not restricting people. We're restricting government from mandating through schools or whatever what I believe is a deeply personal decision that ought to be made by parents. We are a free people living in a republic. So how about strong recommendations from the CDC, strong recommendations from government, and allow free people and parents to make the decision that they believe is best for themselves, their families, and their children? If we believe the vaccines work, if we believe that masks work, then fine. Get the vaccine, wear the mask, and don't worry about what other people are doing. You be you, and you let them be them. This is about freedom. This is about liberty. This measure passes out of the House of Representatives. An hour later, it's in the Senate. Republican Senator Kerry Kelker supports this and talks about a recent visit to an Iowa City hospital where her son is undergoing chemotherapy. And as I departed Iowa City last week after my son's first round of chemo, I asked the doctors, what do I need to do with him? I mean, it's my child. I want to make sure that he's in the best hands. And not once did they say that he needs to be vaccinated or surround himself with masks. And I respect everyone's opinion on this issue. But we also need to start getting back to looking at the reality of where we have come from this pandemic and what we've learned from it. Kids do get COVID. I've had my children have had COVID. Kids get colds, kids get cancer, and kids get the flu. We cannot continue to live in an entire bubble and quit living 
because of this awful pandemic that we're enduring, and we've got to make sure that we are looking out for the freedom of people and how people feel safe in the environment. Masks work. They have worked. Democratic Senator Joe Bolcom. And it's a good thing that local governments and school districts have taken it upon themselves to encourage the use of masks. Senator Kelker, of course people are ready to move on. And there's an, um, uh, look around the room. You know, this side of the room had masks on virtually the entire session. We're all ready to move on. So I, I think people appreciate that point. The discussion in the Senate is about 15 minutes, much shorter than it is in the House. It's floor managed by Republican Senator Amy Sinclair. I did intend to stand up and speak on this, and, and uh, I, would, I would love to offer more comments, but frankly, it's late enough and, and enough's been said, so I would simply move that the Senate concur with uh, S3244, and, uh, and uh, I ask for a yes vote. The Senate approves of this amendment and the education bill it is attached to. A few hours later, around midnight, Speaker of the House Pat Grassley publishes a tweet with a video of him delivering the bill to Governor Kim Reynolds to sign. She is surrounded by legislators and some supporters. One supporter has a sign that says, Unmask our children, stop the abuse. Another says, My body, my choice. The governor signs the bill into law, and it is effective immediately, meaning the bill was introduced debated, and became a law in less than 24 hours. Schools or cities that had a mask mandate on Wednesday, May 19th, may no longer have one they can enforce as of Thursday morning, May 20th. This is the Legislative Podcast under the Golden Dome. I'm John Pimble. A good civics lesson teaches you how to be an engaged citizen, and listening to Under the Golden Dome helps you be an engaged Iowan. When you become a member of Iowa Public Radio, you support coverage that keeps you engaged and informed. Give now at iowapublicradio.org slash donate. It takes just a few minutes to make a powerful impact. Under the Golden Dome is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, and by the Iowa Bankers Association. Small businesses are the backbone of Iowa communities, and they're backed by Iowa banks. See how banks are helping small businesses see a stronger tomorrow at iowabankers.com. Amendment 1537 is the standings bill for this session and is one of the most boring standing bills in recent memory. Division one makes... <laughs> Republican Representative Gary Moore floor manages one of the last items in the 2021 legislative session. It's called the Standings Bill, and this is like an annual catch-all bill. It includes multiple divisions, often that aren't related to each other. It may contain some technical changes to bills that passed earlier in the session. It also includes the allocation of funds for previously passed budgets, like funding for pre-K through 12 public schools. Representative Moore briefly goes through the divisions of the bill, including one about the wages in casinos. Division 7 amends language which currently requires wages at Iowa's casinos to be at least 125% of the minimum wage. This will remain the law as long as the minimum wage stays at $7.25 an hour. This standings bill also funds a new human resources software system the state is converting to called Workday. Division 2 makes additional appropriations. The division provides remaining money needed for the human resources and budgeting computer system upgrade via Workday. 
Democratic Representative Chris Hall says this is one area of the standings bill he has a problem with. This is a contract that occurred because the governor's office insisted in it and went around all of the possible vetting, the opportunities to conduct a competitive bid, the opportunity to ensure to taxpayers that their dollars were going to be well spent. Last year, the governor paid $21 million for part of the contract with Workday from federal coronavirus aid money, something that later was deemed an inappropriate use of coronavirus aid funding. As the session started, that $21 million had to come out of the state's general fund. In this bill, you, the majority party, are providing that contract an additional $23 million. In total, over the last four months, the legislature is going to appropriate $44 million total for a contract that we never approved, for a contract that is fishy, for a contract that was never let out for competitive bid and has all sorts of signals that this is a bad deal for taxpayers. And by providing the end funding for this contract and making it so that you do not have to engage in the conversation again next year, I understand the political reasons. I understand that there is some benefit and convenience from moving on from it, but the benefit will not extend to taxpayers. The standings bill in recent years has contained controversial policy aspects. This year, it was speculated it would include an amendment prohibiting transgender girls from competing in girls' athletics after Governor Reynolds requested legislation doing this, but that's not in this or any other bill from the 2021 session. This standings bill was approved in the House. All but one Democrat opposed it. In the Senate, the bill passed unanimously. Soon after, leaders deliver their closing day remarks. Minority Leader Representative Todd Pritchard takes aim at the majority party. Unfortunately, instead of working together to enact an aggressive recovery plan in the middle of this life-changing and historic pandemic, Governor Reynolds and Republican leaders chose an agenda that by and large ignored the pandemic. Pritchard acknowledges his working relationship with Majority Leader Matt Winchittle. For a Marine, you do pretty well. Both Winchittle and Pritchard have served in the military, Winchittle in the Marines, and Pritchard in the Army. Those aren't fighting words, are they? No. But no, I, I appreciate working in the relationship and the trust that we've built together. And, and uh, you and I both know that uh, we, uh, our relationship makes this place run so much smoother when we, when we do work together. So thank you for, uh, for your work and friendship. Majority Leader Winschittle extends his appreciation to the Democrats. Uh, you are the loyal opposition, and I do appreciate the ideas that you brought to the table. Um, I'm glad that many of the things that we've done this year um, on a large scale have been bipartisan. I mean, we talk about it all the time. The media goes out and reports about all the contentious stuff that we do. But look at some of the bigger bills that we've done this year. That has they've been bipartisan votes. I mean, there are some things where there's a partisan divide, but by and far, we are working together for the betterment of all Iowans. And I'm proud of that. I thank the minority party for helping and doing your role and serving your, your constituents, just like the Republican majority is doing. In Speaker of the House Pat Grassley's closing remarks, he talks about Iowa's recent trend of electing Republicans to the House, Senate, and governor's office. So when we're asked, where do these ideas come from? Who is it that you work for? What is this radical agenda that you're pushing? Because we continue to hear that, we're aware of it. 
I would also say that Iowans continue to reward, rewarded us for over 10 years with the majority. And the people that we speak for are all across the state. There are no closing speeches delivered from the Senate floor. In the last minute of the session, Leader Winschittle makes the final motion. All right, Mr. Speaker, ladies and gentlemen of the House, I know we're all waiting for it. It is with great and distinct pleasure that I say, Mr. Speaker, I move the House for the 2021 legislative session adjourn, sign a die. You've, you've all heard the motion from the gentleman from Harrison, Representative Winschittle. All those in favor shall say aye. And that's the end of the first half of the 89th Iowa General Assembly. There could be a special session later in 2021. Every 10 years, the legislature approves redistricting maps. That's where regions of the state are divided based on population to create new legislative and congressional districts. But due to the pandemic, the data from the Census Bureau needed for that process is delayed. And if it's not delivered before September, that redistricting may be approved by the Iowa Supreme Court. Under the Golden Dome is finishing the fifth year, and every year I get a lot of help to make this show happen from Iowa Public Radio reporters who are also covering the legislature. The biggest chunk of that comes from our State House reporter, Katerina Sestarik. Also this year, I got help from Grant Gerlock, Natalie Krebs, and Katie Pikus. Each script is edited by Iowa Public Radio News Director Michael Leland. He also provides guidance from week to week on what this show is doing, except for the one week he is away. That's when I turn to Iowa Public Radio News Program Director Katherine Perkins. There is digital team support from Caitlin Troutman, Lindsay Moon, Matt Searin, and Gretchen Kasperbauer. I'm John Pimble. Under the Golden Dome is a production of Iowa Public Radio.